Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in once again. It's David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now, we step back into the ring, back into time. Let's go old school, into the Great Smoky Mountains and the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, Ron, what's going on, man? Oh, geez, man, just loving it, Dave. It's it's beautiful up here now. Been waiting on this kind of uh, weather and this kind of look uh, since I got here back in uh, last April. Uh, well, almost all the trees are turned now. It's, uh, it's just remarkably beautiful. That's awesome. You know, we're at 50 degrees here in southeast Alabama tonight. What are you at, like, tonight? Oh man, uh, thirty six. I think is what Whoa. they're saying tonight. <laughs> so that's why these leaves are turning, man. Uh, yeah, and I'm turning to putting on coats too, man. It's uh, it's a little bit different than that uh, St. Petersburg, Florida area down there. Yeah, I was gonna ask, uh, what do you think he's doing down there? Yeah, <laughs> you I think the... I think old Rob's probably laying in the sun, knowing him. Yeah, I bet he is. You think the leaves have changed down there, any? <laughs> <laughs> they don't have any leaves. Man. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I <laughs> thought. They got palm 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 fronds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen. I tell you what. This week's studcast is called "Things Are Changing." I'm a little curious about the title for this episode. What is up? What's changing, stud? Well, you know, uh, actually, there's a lot happening in these last few stud casts. And uh, obviously, Bob Armstrong, he's totally gone now in the last two weeks. He's been he's been out of Southeastern. Uh, and for the first time since June 10th of 1977, which is about six months earlier than the, than we're talking about right now. Uh, that was the night that Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. won a big old Southeastern championship tournament, man. And uh, we're tagged the new Southeastern champions. Uh, got the belts, and uh, you know we're we're uh, named the new Southeastern champions. And uh, you know, and they were not uh, not going to be uh, in this particular stud cast. I stay in times are changing. This is going to be the first time since June the tenth of nineteen seventy seven that they have not wrestled in a tag match. Oh, now, this stud cast they're going to be in single matches. Hmm. And then there's two huge news babyfaces star, stars that were on the last card that had just come in, Thunderbolt Patterson and the former European world Champ, junior champion, the Irish Pat Barrett. And another big babyface, man, is about to bite the dust here in the next uh, week or so and going to be gone because of a loser leave for Southeastern. Okay, so it sounds like that title for this episode is absolutely perfect. Speaking of things changing, that is that is also happening on your Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel as well. So for the first time, current stud, studcasts like this one, the last two appeared on your channel. Number 221 was really great. It described the big two world titles night, you and Harley Race for the world championship, and Nelson Royal and Tony Charles for the world junior belt plus Bob Armstrong's shocking loss to the recently returning Don Carson in a loser-leave Southeastern match. That was pretty surprising. That's quite a change. Also, for the first time, a stud cast, number 222, was made available to fans on your YouTube channel the same day it was released worldwide. Is that going to continue? Are you going to keep doing that? 
Oh yeah, man, uh, definitely. Uh, wow, got great response. Uh, uh, fans are really enjoying these studcasts, actually, right on the YouTube channel. And uh, so, uh, you know, uh, fans, you know, now that they can get their studcast every Wednesday, they can get it on their normal outlets. If they like to get it somewhere else, they can. They obviously can get it on the website at tnstud.com, or they can just go straight to Southeastern Rewind and listen to it right there every Wednesday. So, uh, so we're making it more available to everybody around the world. And uh, now it's just about available literally everywhere. And, you know, that's a couple of big changes. But the really big one is uh, the debut, man, last uh, Thursday of the first ever Continental Championship Wrestling TV show yep. from Boutwell Auditorium. Uh, Gordon Soley, obviously, he was on that. Mm -hmm. He is the commentator, the sole commentator. He made his debut on that show as well. And the latest Rewind Review show with Les Thatcher and I is also up now. We're going to talk about that particular show. And it covers that fantastic first Continental TV show. I'd forgotten how good it was, man. Yeah. And uh, and uh, we break it down and, and uh, all the about all the groundbreaking things that happened in that show. Uh, it really changed wrestling shows forever. Uh, and it was the first big arena wrestling show in the history of wrestling. And it moved, kind of started moving, moving by wrestling companies out of studios and into big buildings. It all kind of started with Continental Championship Wrestling. Yeah, getting into those big arenas. And I thought that was pretty cool seeing Gordon Soley under the lights with the backdrop up on the stage and the Boutwell Auditorium, of course, in Birmingham, Alabama. I thought that was really fascinating. And I want to I want to dovetail on what you were saying earlier. You're on over 32 platforms. Anywhere a podcast can be heard, they'll find the Studcast, plus YouTube at the same time. So that's abs I don't know if that's happening anywhere else, but you're certainly you're certainly spreading the good word of the Studcast. And thousands of roaring fans filling this building at Boutwell Auditorium. That's pretty incredible. Best of all, another one of those spectacular TV shows is going to be shown on Southeastern Rewind. I think you said every Thursday in the same order that they were originally produced. So watching that TV had to make you pretty proud, Stud. Well, it, it really did, Dave. Uh, you know, it had been 36 years since I had seen that show. Whoa, whoa. And, uh, you know, uh, I never realized how far back, but it, it rewinded everybody back to July 15th of 1985. And uh, Ric Flair was on there to open the show uh on the for the for a new company, uh, Southeastern had changed its name overnight to Continental Championship Wrestling, and uh, that we had the world champion right there. He opened the show uh, for the first TV, and even wrestled on this show. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so Ric Flair's not uh, not just going to open the show with Gordon Soley and say a lot of nice things about the size of Continental Championship Wrestling and where that company was going to go. But uh, he also wrestles on that show. And at that time, that TV production was absolutely one of the best in the world. In fact, I believe it was the first in the world to ever be done from a big arena like that. Oh, wow. And, uh, and it was also filled with some of the greatest wrestling talent in the world. Uh, the rerun review of that fantastic CCW show, TV show number one, is now on the YouTube channel. And uh, and a lot of the things in this review are have never been heard before in wrestling history on this show uh, about uh, some of the things that I was really close to getting into. Might have changed wrestling forever had I pursued what I the opportunities I had yeah. and uh, and a lot of never before wrestling history in this one my gosh in this review making it by far I think the best review lesson I have done it, it's a must listen for all fans if they're into the behind the scenes stuff this CCW uh, show number one <laughs> rewind review is is a must hey I tell you what you hooked me I mean from the beginning of course as I said you had Gordon Soley in lights with the backdrop up on the stage. And then the nature boy in his prime 36 years ago comes out and I went, okay, this is what kind of show this is going to be. So I thought that was so cool. I also enjoyed the, the stud snip with Dr. Tom Pritchard about the dirty white boy hanging him for real. It was taken from the first live dinner with the stud show last month. Your second dinner with the stud, by the way, 
is set for Knoxville, November 24th, the night before Thanksgiving. This is going to be a ton of fun. Fans are getting to see a little of everything in person and on Southeastern Rewind, too. So, do you, I mean, do you have anything new for us on YouTube, Ron? Tell us what's up. Oh, yeah, man. I never stop. You know, uh, I got another idea, man. I have another new addition I'm going to be adding, Dave. I'm going to add my own stud story, uh, my series of stud stories on Southeastern Rewind starting this this week, as a matter of fact. The first one is going to be about one of the 11 great NWA world champions I wrestled during my career. Hmm. And uh, 11 champions wow uh, so stud story number one which is going to be this saturday uh it's going to recover the tremendous history of the man considered to be the best ever nwa world champion luthes and i'm going to talk not only about my matches that i had with him which were three of them and all and uh, i'm going to tell a couple of personal stories about lou at the same time hmm. and one of them is going to be from an appearance that he made on a Johnny Carson show in 1968. Oh, wow. When I had a lot of basketball teammates that were really into wrestling, said, hey, look, uh, you Luthes is on the Johnny Carson show tonight. <laughs> and we all piled into a big room, and uh, we watched the, this show. Uh, it was my third year at the University of Miami playing ball. Yeah. And, uh, wow, what a show. Something really super happens in this, this show, uh, that television show. So, uh you know, uh, I'm going to tell that story, and then I'm going to follow up that, that story with uh, uh, 10 others, 10 other NWA World Championship stories about the matches I had against 10 other champions. Uh, stud story number two is going to be with the greatest wrestler ever from New Zealand, Pat O'Connor, and he's the guy that beat Luthes for the NWA World title on January 9th, 1959, and he held the belt for two and a half years. Uh, I wrestled him uh, twice. Wow. Uh, 12 years after his title reign. Wow. All right. That's amazing stuff, Stud. Your YouTube channel is truly going to be the place for great old school wrestling history for years to come. I can't wait to hear these Stud stories also. And speaking of Stud stories, hey, Stud, where are we riding today? Well, we're going into today's training, man. We're going to begin it like we have been, and uh, we're going to stick with the title of this studcast. Things are changing, and we're going to take a close look at the territories and how each of them made their own decision, especially two in particular, how they made their own decisions about when and how to change their talent. Uh, you know, I think uh, fans want to get educated about how it all worked. This one is going to be real interesting for them. Uh, and then we're also going to be discussing the week of October 21st, 1977. We're back in Chilhowee Park on this one after four straight Coliseum shows in a row in the fall for the, of uh, 1977. So, uh, you know, we're, we have really grown. Southeastern has just had immense growth in three years. And uh, our growth was truly remarkable. We had no Coliseum shows. In the first fall that we ran there in 1975, we had three Coliseum shows in the fall of 1976. And in 1977, we had 10 Coliseum events, man. So we're going to cover the TV that promotes this Chilhowee Park card, the results of the card, and the attendance. And uh, in the learning tree today, uh, we got a great question from a gentleman that asked, uh, you haven't mentioned it lately, but were you still trying to find another part of the country to expand into during this time? So, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about maybe something going on in the future. <laughs> oh, well, I don't doubt it. Okay, so this sounds like another great stud cast ahead, Ron. So where are we going to ride to today? Are we moving into today's training first? Uh, yep, that's, that's where we're headed, my man. And uh, this one puts us under the booker, man, and the owner's hat as well. Uh, the booker, obviously, he always made the talent suggestions to the owners, but it was always the owners that had the power and also the money, obviously, to make it happen. So in my case, let's start out with me. Uh, I'm a young guy. I'm at times both booker and owner, you know, uh, so I'm not just deciding who to pay. I'm, I'm, I'm coming up with the bread, too. So, uh, you know. Let's take a look at my Southeastern Territory and compare it to another NWA territory. 
uh, and as far as this subject goes, uh, and let that other territory is let's take Florida, where I was my second territory to ever work in, and uh, where I really got my start. And uh, we're going to compare how each of these two territories did business when it came to moving talent. So let's start with that Florida territory. And uh, I, they've been in business, man, and by 1977, they've been in business for more than 40 years. I really don't know when, how far back Florida's history goes, but I'm sure it's way back into the 1930s and quite a bit further than that probably uh, in most country, parts of the country it was. You know, and Florida had managed to survive at this point the Great Depression, the 1930s, World War II, and uh, and a whole lot more. And you know, it had a long, big, uh, big goal, long time before becoming a territory that had a backlog of great talent on a waiting list to get in. People wanted to go to Florida, man. Uh, as an example, my grandfather, Roy Welch, and his brother Herb, they used to go there in the winters, man, as far back as in the late 1930s. They would spend a couple of months in Florida when everybody was freezing up north and, uh, you know, lay in the sun and uh, really enjoy themselves. Florida had a real advantage over other territories at that time. And uh, obviously the beautiful weather in the winter there, it brought them much more than just sunshine, by golly. It brought great wrestlers to the state for the winter, man. Some of the best talent in the world wanted to come to Florida in the winter. So Roy and Herb were good examples uh, for long ago as far as Florida was concerned. Now, I was there in 1973, and just an example of the kind of guys that came from the north that wanted to spend their winters there, Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens out of Vern Gagne's AWA territory in Minnesota, one of the greatest tag teams of all time, is a great example of two guys that showed up uh, there in 1973. And they stayed for the winter, man. They didn't go back to Minnesota until <laughs> April, I think it was, probably. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that made sense. Great you know, timing on their part. The greatest wrestlers in the world. They could go anywhere they wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> Why not go to Florida in the winter? Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, and uh, during that time frame, uh, Dave, I was a lucky man to work with these world class talent like these guys. Night after night in 1973, I remember working with. Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens. You couldn't get better experience than that. So for Florida bookers and owners, getting talent in the winter was no problem, man. Uh, you know, the only problem they had was overloading the crews. <laughs> they right, had right. too much talent. You yeah, know? Sometimes yeah. they'd bring in more people, and then they'd get a call from these big stars out of the north, and they'd go, wow, well, we can't turn them down. So, uh, you know, obviously, their large number of big cities also helped them to secure and keep that great talent. Uh, a lot of guys uh, remained there. You know, they would come for the winter and they would be so happy and making so much money. They just say, well, hey, you got a spot for me. I'll stay. So let's compare that with my southeastern territory. OK, so. Mm -hmm. I'd only been in business for three years in 1977, not 30 or 40. I'd been in business for only three years. Now, the first two years of that was an extreme struggle. And those people listening to this studcast, they know exactly what I'm talking about. We've, we've uh, kind of covered those years. And it was hard just to, get to survive in those first two years. By late 1976, we were beginning to build a reputation as a great territory. We were getting some good talent. Crowds were growing. We were in the Coliseum almost all the time. But, uh, you know, we weren't, uh, we weren't uh, getting any help by the winter weather like the Florida Territory. But we had, to, we had to do something that no one else. We had something working for Southeastern that nobody, no other territory had. Our success in attracting great talent came from having the shortest trips in professional wrestling. And uh, we also had talent on a waiting list, amazingly, after just three years in the business, because they wanted to get into that territory where they didn't have to be on the road all the time. Right. And they could make good money and enjoy themselves, have a great time. But because we were such a smaller territory with fewer big cities, we had to change our talent more often than they did in the Florida territory. Makes sense. You're in a big territory. You've got more guys on the card. You can run two times a night. There's a lot of reasons 
that Florida could do things that we couldn't do. So that's why basically this studcast is called Things Are Changing, because basically we were changing things. Uh, we weren't certainly not as big as the Florida Territory, uh, but we had one city, Knoxville, that was actually drawing, Dave, more than any major city in the state of Florida. Yeah. Wow. During the same time. Frame. Yeah. Yeah. So we had one hoss of a city bigger than any city they had that was just on fire and everything around it was on fire. You know, so, uh, so, you know, uh, expansion was what we needed. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was where we're going to end up in this episode. We're going to talk about expansion. I mean, uh, we were at a spot and in a point that where we had grown business where we were selling out the biggest building in the biggest market we had and uh, selling out every other town that we went to, turning yeah. thousands of people away every week. And uh, we, uh, I was I was thinking about it. I'd been thinking about it, and uh, we're going to discuss that expansion at the end of this studcast. That's interesting. And exactly what you said about Knoxville, the guys were making good money, and they didn't have to travel very far. They were They were – they were back home with the family in no time. And that just doesn't happen in most of these markets. And, and, and I mean, I'm sure, you know, you did it. You spent a lot of time on the road. Oh yeah, man. I mean, you, you went to Terry. God, there were some territories, man, where you had to stay overnight. Yeah. You might say yeah. three days on the road. Yeah. You know, uh, you live in Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mid Atlantic. Uh, there yeah. were a lot of ex huge expanded territories and, it was real. Uh, people, guys were mad. They were mad and upset if I booked a <laughs> town and they got home after midnight. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so crazy. listen, the guys in your territory, Southeastern, uh, have, have no idea how blessed they were, but maybe they did have an idea. That's a great today's training, Ron. Never thought about how territories got their talent or how often they changed out wrestlers. So let's get the card for this stud cast. What do we got? What's the lineup? Okay, uh, we're talking about Friday night for this one, October 21st, 1977. Like I said earlier, we're in the Jacobs Building in Chihuahua Park. Uh, we've been in the Coliseum four straight shows, but uh, they had events in there, uh, and you couldn't book the entire fall. So I had to take what I could get, and uh, so we have to move to Chihuahua Park for a week. And uh, since this is in a small building in the park, uh, I, this is not a huge, strong card like it had been because I realized that we're going to turn people away anyway. <laughs> you know, I mean, why give a big card to them and have to turn more and make more people unhappy they couldn't get into the building? So we tried to tone this one down. So this is basically a toned-down card, in my opinion, okay? So the first match, we got another new newcomer named Ronald Pope against Jim Dalton in Pope's first match, Roy Lee Welch who has become somewhat of a star, uh, is going to be wrestling in the second match now. Second match on the card is Roy Lee Welch versus Bob Orton Jr. A third match on the card is Tony Charles against the pro Doug Gilbert in a no-DQ match. Fourth is Joe LaDuke against Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin. You know, there's a special tag match that night, me and my brother Rock against Don Carson and the Assassin. And then there's a Southeastern Championship match with the champion Mongolian Stomper, managed by Gorgeous Georgia Jr., obviously, against Ricky Gibson. Okay, so that was still a really strong card, no matter what. You had so many great wrestlers, it was probably hard to book a weak card. So what happened on the TV? And I think we're talking October 15th that promoted this card. Boy, you and Mr. Pickles, man, y'all riding way ahead now, Dave. Thanks for noticing. Man. Thank you. You know, uh, y'all aren't uh, lagging behind. Uh, and, you know, y'all have both become veterans on these rides. You don't miss much. Yep. So this TV, uh, that's <laughs> correct. It was October 15th. It opened with Les running down the card. And when the cameras backed away from the close shot of Les, like usual, after, the, after he had announced who was going to be on the show, there was the huge set. Uh, with a still shot on the set behind him. Uh, Les was joined at the set, and uh, sitting there was Joe LaDuke and Roy Lee Welch. And uh, this shot showed LaDuke and Welch, uh, and it's a still shot. Uh, they're fighting in that huge Coliseum floor. They've left the ring, and they're back toward the 
big gigantic curtain in the back, the black curtain in the back, and it's a steel shot uh, with Leduc and uh, Garvin pounding at each other, and uh, and uh, uh, Roy Lee Welch and Bob Orton Jr. doing the same thing. It's a steel shot. You can't really see any action yet, but uh, you know. Les welcomes them, and they and they got right into the video about the Southeastern Tag Title Match, uh, which they uh, had that night, uh, uh, the night before. They're watching what had happened the night before, and they explained that both of the tag champions had left the ring, and they headed toward the dressing room, and uh, they went after them. Uh, rather than just let them go to the dressing room, leave the ring, they went and got them. And it pretty much showed a very dangerous, man, wild scene there in the Coliseum. The fans were all around them. The fans just uh, got out of their seats and went down to where they were fighting. And it was pretty wild there. It looked nasty on the video. And uh, the match had been officially stopped by the referee. He's still up in the ring, ringing the bell. The match is done as far as he's concerned, uh, especially when they've all left the ring and not coming back. So, uh, you know, Les closed out the video right after Al Costello. Joe LaDuke had grabbed Al Costello, and he, he threw him through the crowd. And, and you could see him knocking people down. He was sliding on his back in the Coliseum concrete, man. And uh, it was like a wild scene. Les said, oh, we've seen enough of this. So, so Joe and Roy, you know, they asked. Right there with Les, they're there with him. They've just seen their chance. They're, they they lost their opportunity to win a no DQ match. They asked for another shot at the title, you know. And uh, so uh, the champions, uh, Les told them, you know, the champions guys said they they're not going to give you another title shot, uh, but they're willing to wrestle you two guys in a single match next week, you know. So uh, so Joe and you know Joe and Roy wasn't real happy with that, but uh, you know Joe 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 did most of the talking. Uh, Roy was kind of the the guy in the background and uh, and really uh, following in the shoes of a great great wrestler man, Joe LaDuke. And uh, Joe said, you know, he wanted Mr. Knoxville. He said, oh, okay, then I'll take Mr. Knoxville and Roy here will take Bob Orton Jr. And then he said less. He said, can you get this done for us? Since we can't have a title match with him, will you see to it that we get a clause put into the contract that if we win both of these single matches, if I beat Mr. Knoxville and Roy beats Bob Orton Jr., that that'll automatically give us another title shot. So Les said he tried to get it done, and uh, the two of them left the set, man, to a huge round of applause. And uh, and as they were leaving, the Southeastern Tag Champions, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr., managed by Al Costello, they entered the studio, and wow, you can imagine that applause. It instantly disappeared, man, and it was a big roar of booze for the first match on the card. So these two tag champions they had their own style when it came to TV matches. They had it down, man. And uh, it just seemed like every time you watched them as a team on television, they got more violent. And uh, this was no different, man. Uh, they totally destroyed their opponents. In a matter of probably six, seven minutes at most, uh, Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin with a mask on, he, was, he used his knee drop from the top rope, jumped off in the guy's throat. And uh, about the same time, Orton Jr. had his backbreaker on the other one. And then Orton dropped his guy on his head, which was customary now, you know, and uh, looked like it broke uh, 10, 10 guys' necks. You wow. know, and LeDuc and Roy, they returned after the set. They got the win, obviously. Those guys just, you know, they they destroyed us. It was horrible. Yeah, you know, I felt bad, bad to book guys with them on TV. I knew that you don't know how bad you're going to get hurt today. So LaDuke and Roy, man, they returned to the set for less for the first interview. Mr. Knoxville, Bob Orton Jr., and Al Costello, they all went into Studio B. And uh, champions were informed by Les right away that they would have to defend their belts against these same two opponents if they both lost their upcoming single matches the next Friday night. So Al Costello, being as cocky as he was and, uh, you know, his Australian accent, you know, he said there's absolutely no chance that's going to happen. And that if it did, he'd come up with a clause for his team the following week that would really put these two challengers in a bad spot. 
and uh, and I assume you know he had some diabolical in mind, and and uh, we'll some, we'll find out what's going to happen with that. So Joe and Roy, they were happy that Les was able to get their request done for the return tag match if they won both the singles, and uh, well, these two tag teams they were so evenly matched. They had some of the greatest matches I ever saw, man. And uh, every time they wrestled, the match got better. You know, uh, it was just an amazing thing to watch those four go at it. Uh, the pro got his first TV match in quite a while. Uh, he made the most out of it, too. He put another one, poor enhancement guy, another one of those poor guys that like the ones Garvin and and uh, and, and Orton Jr. had just beat up. Uh, pro took what took it out on his, and obviously he put his guy to sleep, and then he refused to wake him up, and then he jerked him up and ragdolled him, as I called man, just swung him all around the ring, and uh, wow, it looked like he was killing him. And uh, you know, then he stopped real quick though before he got disqualified this time. He wanted to guess be uh, able to win one, so he was as proud. He was as proud. Uh, as, a, as he could be, man. He looked like a peacock, man, with his hand raised in the air. Uh, Tony Charles, dressing him the next week. He went to the set for the second interview. Pro went into Studio B. And it had been a while since these two guys had faced each other. They had had probably a series of matches. But it had been quite a while since they worked against each other. But there was still a lot of animosity between the two of them. Uh, they always, just like uh, the, the combination of of uh, Orton and and Ronnie Garvin against uh, LaDuke and Roy Lee Welch. They always had great matches together, the pro and uh, Charles. So the following Friday night wasn't going to be an exception to that, I tell you. Wow. All right, hey, I'll tell you what, it's a great place. Let's do a break right here. When we come back, we'll check off the personality profile. That's on the list for this show. Hey, but remember to find Southeastern Rewind on YouTube Subscribe, ring the bell to get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling will be dropped on YouTube. You ring the bell, we'll ring your bell to let you know when. And be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. And the second dinner with a stud. Details on that are coming up. Stay tuned. The personality profile is next on this studcast. The first dinner with the stud at Knoxville's famous Calhoun's on the River was a huge success. Now comes the two-hour dinner with the stud 2, November 24th, the night before Thanksgiving, at the same location. Go to tnstud.com, click on stud store. That's tnstud.com, and click on stud store. Begin your Thanksgiving in a special way. Spend an evening with the Tennessee stud, Les Thatcher, and WCW's Bunkhouse Buck, also known as Jimmy Golden. Be greeted at the door by all three. Have your photos made with them afterwards. And in between, have a free buffet from one of America's best restaurants. Get two free 8x10 autograph photos. One from Ron, one from Jimmy. Hear a live one-hour stud cast. Ask your questions in a question and answer hour. Win a tremendous door prize. Enjoy a cash bar. And have an unforgettable evening with three wrestling legends. All of this... Only $30. Reserve now at TNStud.com. Click Stud Store. Look for Dinner with the Stud. That's less than the cost of two photos by themselves. Don't miss this great event on a special week. Go to TNStud.com. Look for the Stud Store and click on Dinner with the Stud. All right, welcome back once again. David Summers with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. And this studcast is another exceptional studcast. We appreciate you listening wherever you are on one of our 32 platforms all over podcast world. And you might be watching and hearing us on the Studs YouTube channel of Southeastern Rewind. All right, Stud, let's get back into it. And who was on the personality profile? Okay, uh, let's see. Um, this one is great, man. Uh, it's got the just returning Don Carson and the assassin on it. Uh, they had had uh, tremendous heat, man. They'd only been back. I think, uh, I think Carson had only been back for three weeks. The assassin maybe only two. And uh, they had tremendous heat because of that hot finish, man, on the double world title card where both of them actually took both of them to do it. Both of them beat Bob Armstrong and they sent him out of Southeastern wrestling. So 
they had a video to watch from the night before where Robert, my brother, was wrestling against Don Carson, and the assassin got involved in that match, and uh, I was in the back watching it, and I went down to the ring, obviously, to help my brother out, and uh, and this profile uh, I, I had done live on purpose because I wanted to take advantage of the heat that these two guys had created in just a couple of weeks, and the studio audience being right there, I was hoping that they were going to uh, to cause them a problem. They're going to, to have the tremendous response. And, man, they didn't disappoint me. I tell you, they never shut up after Carson and the assassin arrived on the set. And they came out of Studio B. And for some reason, they had Studio B dark, which was most unusual. So the camera couldn't pick them up until they got almost to the set with less. And obviously, they had the two seats. They had a seat with less. And uh, so... They started off with the video, which was a natural place to start in the beginning. And uh, so uh, Les got into the video. He showed a little bit of what happened there and how the assassin got involved. And I came down and uh, and uh, how they both left the ring when I came down. He kind of questioned them about it. Why is it that you, you make such a hasty retreat here, you know? I mean, you, you, what would you expect? If, you, if his brother was here, he wasn't going to do it. But he couldn't get him really to talk much about it. Uh, but it didn't bother Les because he was much more interested in what they'd had to say on the week before when they were on TV. And he questioned the man right away about why they had said that their intention uh, was to take over Southeastern wrestling. He, he, he backed them up to last week's uh, the little time that they spent with him on the air and tried to get the story, the backstory here. And uh, they stuck with their story from the last week before, saying it was because of the way they'd been forced out of by Southeastern officials, uh, that the officials, the Southeastern officials didn't like them, either one of them, and they screwed them, basically, uh, by getting them put in these loser league matches and, uh, and then making sure that they didn't win. So, you know, Assassin said, it happened to me in 1975, and Carson says to Less, it happened to me in 1976, <laughs> <laughs> just a little more than a year ago, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, so they basically, you know, kind of took it from there, and they said, you know, we we got we got uh, we came back here for a reason, Les, and they said we want to uh, get rid of the fan favorites here. <laughs> so we want to we want to dominate. Southeastern wrestling. Uh, and he said, we've already done it. We've already done one. He goes, Bob Armstrong, he's gone. He won't be back for a year, you know? And, uh, you know, and in the studio crowd at that point, they really got on them, man. They didn't like that at all. And then they continued saying that they had their sights set on another big name, real soon. You know, and they didn't say who it was. Les said, well, who are you talking about? Uh, we got our sights set on another big guy soon. He'll hmm. be gone. Hmm. And uh, then they reminded Les of the really strange thing they said the week before. And they repeated what they had said the week before, mm -hmm. before that uh, they'd already made a deal with the devil. And before long, <laughs> everyone in Southeastern is going to know who it is, who the devil is, and exactly what we mean. Right? <laughs> so at that, Les was like, wow, his ears, he's perked man he sits up straight in his chair he's ready to make it have a profile now heck yeah and he says hey tell and they got up and just left <laughs> and les says wait come out come back wait a minute yeah you're gonna explain what you mean in the studio crowd they started booing them like what is the hell why do y'all leave it like that and they just disappeared into that dark studio b and uh, they were gone so uh, <laughs> i wonder if les was looking forward to a future personality profile with the devil. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So, so all right. That's, he's going to show up. I know. Profile. Yeah. All right. That's a, that's a kind of crazy. I mean, that's a little mysterious right there. So something big was coming, right? So, wow. All right. So what was next? Well, me and Rob, we got, we got the studio on fire again right away, man. Uh, we had a very rare tag match. We hadn't been in a tag team match and I don't know, maybe maybe close to a year on Southeastern Wrestling's TV. So, and then we were getting ready for this big tag match. We were going to be wrestling against Carson the Assassin the following Friday night. 
And we got in and gave them a really good tag match. We did a whole lot of tags back and forth. We worked guys' arms. We worked guys' legs. And uh, and then we both ended up finishing our both opponents off at the same time. We both got our opponents in the fuller leg lock. So, you know, we, we had a really big win. And uh, we went to the set with Les for the third interview. And uh, Carson and the assassin were now in the lit-up studio B. They turned the lights on in there for some reason. And now mm-hmm. they were all lit up and ready to go. Uh, and I, they obviously, there's a lot of history between the four of us, you know. Uh, all types of things that happened between Carson and I, uh, between Car- the assassin and I, between Rob, uh, the combination of the four of us. Uh, so there were in this two minute interview, man, there was a lot of insults and challenges were hurled back and forth. The fans really enjoyed the two minute interview. They liked our stuff. Uh, they booed their stuff. So the last match segment, uh, began with a Southeastern championship match video and the champion Mongolian stomping stomper, obviously managed by gorgeous George jr. Was defending, uh, against me in this video. This is from the night before, and me and Stomper are wrestling. And uh, so this video would be done a little differently than, than most of the videos. We, what we did on the end of this is we went and, and did this last video just like we opened shows with. Uh, so the last segment opened up with Gorgeous George Jr. sitting there with Les. Stomper was behind him. He had his championship belt on. He was pumping that huge old truck shock, man, as usual. And uh, and on the screen and set behind him, just as was usually done on the opening of a show, there was a still shot of Ricky Gibson. But this was a crazy still shot because there was Ricky Gibson standing on the top rope with his street shoes on and his street clothes on, <laughs> ready to drop kick somebody off the top rope. <laughs> and it's like, what in the heck is that all about, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the fans in the studio, they loved the shot because they'd been there the night before. They knew what was coming, right? <laughs> they knew what he was about to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because they'd been there, man, and Gigi, he was raiding on their response because he knew they were going to be happy with it. And, uh, boy, that response from the studio was thunderous, man. I mean, as soon as they saw the shot, Ricky Gibson standing on the top rope with his street clothes on, uh, they was popped like, wow, there it is, man. And, uh, and as soon as they started to cheer, uh, uh, <laughs> Gigi says, run the t- show us the deal. So he screamed out something about those hoodlum Gibson brothers, you know, right away. And then uh, so he started to, they just, they, they didn't, they didn't, Les didn't advance the video. So Ricky's still up there behind them standing on the top rope. And he, then uh, Gigi started talking to Les about the Gibson brothers. And he got into a story right away. He says, I remember those boys from Pensacola, Florida. That's where they live. You know, and he said, I used to wrestle there many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And he said, every time I went there, they would throw rocks at my Cadillac when I was driving out <laughs> at night in the parking lot. Right. right. <laughs> so he, he tells a Ricky Gibson story, you know, and, and then he continues on with it, you know, and he says, uh, you know, uh, Ricky Gibson, he says in particular, he said he's been a, that kid's been a thorn in my side since he was a punk man, and he and he started wrestling a few years after those days, and he goes, uh, you know, and now the Pensacola punk, he's done cause my stomper to have his this precious southeastern belt held up just ten days ago, Johnson City, Tennessee, and then he said the stomper had to beat the punk. Three nights later to get his belt back. And then this, he screamed, pointing up at the big, huge studio picture behind him. You know, he's Ricky's still up on the top rope, mm-hmm. you know. And then this, he points at the picture behind him. And Les, man, that's his first opportunity he had to say anything. So he jumped in, man, saying, said, since, he, since you got to catch your breath here, GG, he says, the director, show us what this guy, what he's going to do. <laughs> so instantly, man, they put that, that video in motion. And Ricky drop kicked 
wow, uh, the stomper had his back turned to him. He, Ricky drop kicked him in the back of his shoulders. And uh, I mean, he hit him so squarely in wow. the back and uh, it sent the stomper flying head through head first through the ropes out on the concrete floor, man. Wow. It, it was like, wow, he catapulted him out of the ring. Hey. And the stomper, I was in there and, you know, they'd been beating him and uh, Gigi had been working on me. Mm -hmm. So the stomper standing behind the two of them and he's watching it. Right. Uh, you know, he went nuts when he saw him get kicked in the back. I guess it brought it back to his mind, man. Yeah. And he threw his steel truck shock across the studio floor. He just flung it, man. It went sliding across the floor and he started pounding the desk in front of Les and yeah. Gigi and Gigi screaming and the stompers pounding the desk. And Gigi screamed at Pensacola Punk. He said he wasn't even wrestling last night. He said, you know, he, he look at him. He, he's there with his street clothes. <laughs> he goes, he's just there to sneak up behind my stomper and drop kick him in the back. <laughs> how old? How old was Ricky at this time? He, he was a young well, guy. Ricky's probably to twenty eight. Yeah, twenty eight, maybe thirty yeah. years old. He, yeah. he's a young kid still. You know, yeah. he's a young star. You know? And the crowd so, loved him as these as the young guys that came along. He was one. Oh, he was yeah. definitely he, a he favorite. He was a great guy. He was a yeah. great, super talented dude. So yeah. you know, yeah. so left gets man. You know, they're going crazy at the set. I mean, Gigi's screaming and Stompers pounding on the desk, and the uh, and Les tries to you know <laughs> get in again. He wants to make a comment, but Gigi cuts <laughs> him off. And you know he's, he's, he's a, and then he and Gigi goes and the, the video's still rolling, and he goes now watch this because he knew what was coming up and boy as soon as Ricky Gibson got up he tore into gorgeous George Jr. Wow it was unbelievable <laughs> I mean he was just beating the crap out of George Gigi and uh, and the stomper kept just pounding on the desk man it was a, it was a wild little scene there. <laughs> and, and, and it showed me I was in the ring too and I was just getting up off the mat and stompers trying to get back in the ring to help Gigi and I just kept kicking him off the apron and Ricky was beating poor G toward Gigi's butt up man big time and gg <laughs> finally screamed again man stop it stop the video <laughs> and he you know les couldn't help himself he's kind of having fun at this point you know and he goes uh and he has gg something like you know why it's just getting good <laughs> les said that <laughs> yeah les said, why? it's just getting good yeah right in the yeah studio <laughs> like Oh, man, this was great. So Gigi tried to gain control of himself. Then his stomper, he, he's trying to get the stomper to calm down. He's trying to get calmed down. And he told the less. He said, you know, he says, we've already demanded the Southeastern officials that they give Ricky Gibson a title shot at my stomper next Friday. I want him to have the chance to drop kick my stomper, but drop kick him in the face. You know, he says, I want to see it. And, you know, and then he says, because, you know, uh, I, the only reason I want to do this, is <laughs> he says, I want to. Ha I'm going to have my stomper beat the living hell out of that Pensacola punk. <laughs> I'm gonna get a lifetime of fun out of this match, <laughs> and that's when Ricky goes. Ricky Gibson comes out of the dressing room and goes to the ring, <laughs> and the studio popped again. Man, Ricky got in the ring. He says, "Come on." Come on, you know, and oh boy, that it was a what a what a fourth segment of the show it was really good, man. And the fans were so into it, the GG stompers all upset, man. And uh, so they finally left the set, and Ricky boy, he tore the house down, man. And uh, he beat his opponent pretty quick. And I thought the studio crowd was going to carry him on their shoulders, man, <laughs> over to the set or whatever. <laughs> So uh, he and Gorgeous George Jr., they finished off the show, man, with a great interview from both of them. That is awesome. All right, so I hope that Jacob's building that in Chilhowee Park was ready for this big crowd the next Friday night. So what was the result of the matches? Well, Ron Pope, uh, the newcomer, man, looked very strong in his win. Southeastern, he beat Jim Dalton. Rorley Welch had his abdominal stretch on Bob Orton Jr., which was his finish hold, his dad's finish hold as well. And uh, Bob Orton, a uh, smart dude, he managed to get his hand on the referee and he jerked him into Roy. And uh, Roy's head and the referee's head collided. And the referee went down hard. 
Um, and Orton, Roy didn't get a chance to go down too hard because Orton just full nussing him real quick. And Al Costello jumped up on the apron and he pulled something out of his pants pocket. And, uh, and he took a swing at Roy with it. But Roy ducked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Costello hit Orton by mistake. Uh-oh. And uh, Roy died back on Orton and the referee rolled over there and counted Orton out. Man, the building exploded. Wow. <laughs> they were happy as heck. Uh, Roy Lee had beat Bob Orton Jr. And the team of uh, Welch and LaDuke, uh, they were halfway to their return tag match, man. All that the Duke, all they had to happen to get that tag match was so Duke to win his match, upcoming match. So then Orton and Costello got into it again. It happened a little bit last week, and they got into it again. This time, Costello messed up bad enough that he hit Orton, and, you know, Orton had a reason to be mad at him. And uh, Mr. Knoxville, now in the old Jacobs building, wrestlers dressed up on the second floor, and it was a little little distance to the ring. And Orton had to run from upstairs. He saw that they were going to get into it again, and he ran down, and he got a hold of Orton, who had already about to ride into uh, Costello's face, and he knew that <laughs> Orton's going to get the best of that one. So he kind of pulled Orton back, and he kind of sucked, calmed him down again. So Tony Charles, he's in the next match, and he got another win over the pro. Uh, and he used a new throw, man, that was really, uh, oh, what a, it was fantastic. And it popped the building. I mean, <laughs> the fans were so into Tony. Yeah. Uh, he just knew how to do it. And, man, he, he ended every match, it seemed like, in a different way. And uh, it was always something high-flying and something beautiful. So Joe LaDuke, man, uh, and he, he came in and we his match with Mr. Knoxville and uh, and – and Knoxville had him really going, man. They had him down and good enough that he went up on the top rope. He was going to jump off in his throat. And Joe was able to get up, and he caught him in the air, man, in his bear hug. And uh, Hal Costello, man, uh, quickly jumped up uh, into the ring. <laughs> you know, he, he got to save his man, uh, not just from by just getting him disqualified, but Joe LaDuke could squeeze your guts out. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to save Ronnie Garvin's life, you know, and he jumped up into the ring and, uh, and then instantly the referee saw him in there and he, he rang the bell and, and he disqualified him. But, but um, it, the good thing about it for Joe LaDuke is it counted as a win. And uh, the whole deal was if he and, Roy Lee Welch were able to beat Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. in single matches. They got another tag match shot the following week. So that was what's going to come on the next week's card. So Rob and I, we won the match with Carson and and, uh, the Assassin by disqualification. Uh, They were a great team, those two guys, man. Uh, They were veterans. Wiley, I guess is a good word. They were Wiley veterans. They knew how to get it done. And they kind of left Rob laying at the end of it. I had to help him back to the the dressing room. And uh, so then the Southeastern Championship match comes in with Ricky Gibson against the Stomper. And it ended up with me down there trying to return the favor that Ricky Gibson had done for me the Friday before. Uh, He was getting double teamed by the Stomper and GG at the end of the match. And I'm standing up there watching and I, well, geez, man, you know, he helped me. So I got to go do something. So, so I went down to the ring and I got a hold of Gigi's leg and I drug him out of the ring. Uh, Stomper stayed in there and he's beating already beating up on Gibson. They both were. And I drug Gigi out and I kind of just, uh, I kind of flailed him and wailed him in the back toward the dressing room. And it didn't take long for him to want to run, man. <laughs> so he ran to the dressing room. And uh, then I got up there and I turned around and looked. And Stomper had, had beaten Gibson in the meantime. he I guess he stopped him in the head a couple of times and finally pinned him. And so uh, that match was over. <laughs> Gibson had lost the match. Um, but uh, pretty darn good night for fans that night. Yeah, I bet it was a good night for the pocketbook, too. What was attendance like? It had to be huge. Well, you know, the building was small. You got to bear in mind, it's not a coliseum, you know, and there was more fans in that building than I'd ever seen in the Jacobs building. Uh, Luckily, it was the first match in a long time because no fire marshal showed up. So we were able to get a few more fans in than he would have allowed us to get in. 
Uh, and the figure was just slightly over 4,000 fans in a building probably uh, that was built to accommodate 2,500 maybe. Okay. All right. So now it appears that we are going to be able to get another learning tree question answered again today, Ron. I'm going to force you into it. So, All right. I'm okay. I'm ready with it. Man. <laughs> All right. Brandon Blake asked, you haven't mentioned it lately, but were you, but were were you still trying to find another part of the country to expand your southeastern territory into? All right, good question, Brandon. Go, Brandon. All right, go ahead, Ron. Yes, that's a good question, my man. And uh, yes, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Blake, I, I definitely was still trying to find a new place to expand my southeastern territory into. Now, I'd been at this point looking at two territories in particular. And for a while, uh, one of them, uh, for quite a while, the Sheik's Ohio Territory, and the other one was the Fields Brothers Territory called the Gulf Coast. Uh, and, you know, I'd made several trips already to Ohio. I hadn't gone to Gulf Coast at all yet, but I had been to several times to Ohio. And one of those trips, my father and I took a Southeastern TV show to the major TV station in Cincinnati where mm. the Sheik had been on that station for many years. Yeah. And we were turned down. Wow. And we were turned down for, for odd reasons, but, uh, you know, they made sense. Uh, it was, it was a learning lesson for me and mm. I guess my father too. Uh, it was definitely not because of the TV production or because of the talent that they saw on the show. Uh, in fact, the, the, the management told us that they thought the production and the talent was tremendous compared to the Sheik's TV mm. that they were running at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they told us that the problem was that the, that the Sheik had basically killed the image of wrestling in, ah. in, in Ohio. Uh, that uh, his, his program and his talent and the things he was doing on his shows were were horrible and uh that uh, they were already ready to terminate him and they were going to terminate him in the, the next two months and uh you know they said uh we don't and we don't think we'd take another wrestling show right now well i mean uh, i was gonna say that that's that's the reason you replace a wrestling show like what the and i've heard about the sheik's show it was a certain type there was a lot of blood and gore right Oh yeah. Okay, oh, but, it's horrible. But then but then your show compared to that without all the blood and gore, there was some occasionally, but it was based on it was just based on stories as opposed to just a lot of blood that that is exposed on TV all the time. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it and, was not it didn't make a whole lot of sense yeah. to us, but the I, the thing was we probably should have brought three shows. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they, yeah. they saw one. It was really good. The production is great. you got great wrestlers. Jeez, you're doing a lot of wrestling. They, you know, they had yeah. the right yeah. comments, but they really, in the back of their mind, was thinking about the Sheik had ruined it. The mm. Sheik had, that's why he was willing to sell his territory for $100,000. Uh -oh. He's willing to sell uh, one of the biggest populated states in America for a hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah, the state, not a city. Yeah, but the state. So right, there's a reason that uh, the sheep had killed Ohio. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you weren't going to be able to get on any TVs. And I kind of realized when when that went down. So you know, uh, it it made it a hard sell, man, to uh, to, to 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 deal with Ohio at that point. So the old, let's talk about the other territory, the old Gulf Coast territory. Mm -hmm. uh, it had been originally built by my father in 1954. There was no wrestling there until my dad took us there, me and my brother, and me six years old, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and created a wrestling company on the Gulf Coast of America. Yeah. And uh, it was owned at this point by some of my family members as well, the Fields Brothers, or uh, Welches. They're basically their their mothers are Welch, so uh, you know they uh, they are their family, and they had bought the territory from my dad in 1959, and they did really good for with it. Uh, and uh, but now we're into the struggling. Uh, they were really struggling in that the latter part of the 1970s. Uh, 
And uh, I didn't realize it uh, at this point, but uh, I found out the, soon afterward that it had been up for sale. I didn't even know that they wanted to sell their territory. I didn't know how bad it was, you know. And what they did is they made a deal with the Georgia Territory, with Jim Barnett out of Atlanta and Fred Ward out of Columbus and Macon. Uh, they decided to, to purchase the Gulf Coast Territory somewhere in the mid-1977 area. area. And uh, they ran into some kind of problem pretty quickly after the sale. I don't know whether the towns were so bad that uh, something happened, though, and the Georgia promoters backed out of the deal. So so it kind of made it sense for me to take a closer look at that territory. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was for sale because my father had built it for one reason. And, uh, and the main reason was that during the time he was building it, the many of the TV stations that he got on way back in 1950s, they were still on down there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they, you know, and they were still under, some of them was under the same management. One of them in particular, one of the stations in particular, uh, which was the Gulf Coast cornerstone station of the whole territory, uh, was Channel 5 in Mobile. Hmm. And uh, they, had a t- they had a manager there named C.P. Persons of that station, who was a lifelong friend of my father. And uh, he helped my dad get on TV stations in Arizona and in Tennessee wow. and in Georgia. Uh, and in many different states that my dad traveled around to after we left that Gulf Coast area down there. So, and then obviously there was another thing I liked about Gulf Coast, and it was the fact that it was in the South and it was a lot warmer there than it was in Ohio in the winter. Really now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and then obviously I was, I was still looking for the right deal, you know? And, and my problem was, Dave, I, I didn't have the time necessary to visit these territories to do the due diligence that you want to do when you're going to buy a company or start a company uh, so that you end up making a good decision i was so darn busy working my own territory trying to sell out again and again and again so uh you know in the upcoming super stud cast here um mr blake i think your name was blake um uh, uh we're going to talk about it uh we're, this problem is about to solve itself, you know, uh, uh, as they say, uh, and the rest is going to be history, man. How about that? Okay, so another great one right there, Ron. Every stud cast seems to take us on a special ride. Uh, the, the way this one ended sounds like soon we may really be giving our horses the spurs. Okay, folks, listen up on Facebook. To become friends with the Tennessee Stud, simply like or follow him on either the Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud page, or the author Ron Fuller Welch page on Twitter. You can follow Ron at Ron Fuller Welch. Don't miss the next Dinner with the Stud, Wednesday, November 24th, the night before Thanksgiving, 7 to 9 p.m. It's a great time to visit the Great Smoky Mountains for a vacation, a wonderful weekend getaway. You could make this work and to have an unforgettable evening with Ron Les Thatcher, WCW's Bunkhouse Buck, also known as Jimmy Golden. Experience a great buffet dinner at one of the world's finest restaurants, Calhoun's on the River. It's located on the Tennessee River, right next to the University of Tennessee in downtown Knoxville. Get the dinner, two free 8x10 photos of the stud and Jimmy Golden, a one-hour live stud cast plus one-hour question and answer show, incredible door prizes, enjoy a cash bar right there in the dining room this time, and then you'll meet all three stars on the way in. They'll be there to meet and greet as you come in and get settled in for a wonderful evening. Reservations, only 30 bucks at tnstud.com. Click the stud store. That's TN stud.com look for the stud store look for the dinner with the stud the photos alone are a $30 value the timing on this is perfect the night before Thanksgiving this is going to make a wonderful long weekend for you the last dinner was fantastic almost full reserve your seats now for this tremendous evening and get your Thanksgiving off to 
a tremendous start. Brutus, Ron's highly acclaimed novel, is still breaking records. It takes place not far from where the dinner with the stud will be. His notorious line, Lion, has escaped into the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. They call Brutus the next Jaws. Get it on Amazon, Brutus Novel, or the extremely valuable autograph copy from his website at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store. Only $29.99 autographed, and that includes shipping. All right, Stud. Stud, I mean, that's a lot. Did I miss anything? Jeez, man. You rolled, rolled, Dave. Heck, uh, you know, uh, the only thing I can think of, man, is uh, I just want to thank everybody, all these listeners out there. And uh, and a reminder, man, to visit us. Visit us on Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel. It is happening there. A new U.S. TV show every Sunday. A new studcast now every Wednesday. New tremendous continental TV shows on every Thursday. And uh, special stud stories and stud snips uh, daily. Uh, it's it's going down, man. All right, that's fantastic. So where do we ride next week, stud? Uh, another today's training, man. Uh, and we're going to educate fans about how things were done in the old school days. Kind of like what we did today about uh, exchanging talent and moving talent around. Uh, where we're going to be back in the Coliseum in the next studcast, which is going to be October 28, 1977. For another fantastic card. The main event alone is going to be huge for Southeastern in its future. Because I'm going to be wrestling the Mongolian Stomper for a Southeastern title. I'm going to put up my TV title. Gorgeous George Jr. is going to be barred from ringside. And the loser of this one is going to leave Southeastern. And in the Southeastern tag title match that same night, Roy Lee Welch is putting up his hair. They're going to shave his head uh-huh. if they don't win the championship. <laughs> so uh, hopefully, time permitting again next week, uh, there'll be another learning tree question as well. So just want to thank everybody, man, uh, everywhere for all your support. It's amazing. I'm so humbled by it. And uh, please tell your friends about us here and take care of yourselves and others and may God bless us all. There you go for Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains. I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.